Welcome back to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla and I am a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I have favouritism for some vitamins and minerals simply because I find some way more interesting than others. Of course, all are equally important with different roles in our body. But I have to say iron, zinc and vitamin D would be a couple of my favourites. And today, in the thick of winter, I am talking about vitamin sunshine, otherwise known as vitamin D. We all think of getting our vitamin D when we are out in the sun, but what is its importance to health and who is at risk of deficiency? So vitamin D is one of four fat-soluble vitamins. I always remember with the word ADEC, so vitamins A, D, E, K. The sun is our major natural source which activates vitamin D production in the skin. So we don't just sit there in the sun and absorb vitamin D. It's the UVB rays that help basically um, activate vitamin D in the skin and then it goes through metabolic processes, processes in the body which then allow it to become active. Vitamin D is also found naturally in wild oily fish, for example, salmon and mackerel, and eggs, as well as being fortified in some dairy and dairy alternative products. Vitamin D is really unique in that it's the only vitamin where we can't actually meet our requirements from dietary intake alone. And also, it's not strictly a vitamin because it's actually a pro-hormone because it regulates our serum calcium levels in our blood by aiding the absorption of the calcium we consume in our diet in the bowel. So if our serum calcium levels are low, the body has to maintain adequate levels by mobilizing stores from our bones. So vitamin D's primary role is actually involved in bone health, whilst also helping to maintain our immune system, glowing skin and muscle integrity, to name a few things. So deficiency can result in increased bone turnover, leading to reduced bone mineral density, more porous bones, and consequently an increased risk of fractures. Suboptimal levels of vitamin D are actually relatively common in New Zealand, with an estimated 25% of us having serum levels below what is considered an optimal amount of vitamin D. So at the serious end of clinical deficiency in adults, it can basically lead to a softening of bones and a condition known as rickets in children. So if you get a blood test, the circulating levels we measure is actually called 25-hydroxyvitamin D, and it's basically just the form that's measured to determine a vitamin D status. Um, The optimal range is considered 50 to 150 nanomoles per litre, and that's what's optimal for bone health. So less than 50, and it is considered deficiency. As we are now in the middle of winter in New Zealand, it's really important between the months of May to August to try and get some sun exposure each day. Around midday is best, that's when the sun is at its strongest, and trying to get a bit of exposure to our face, hands and arms if temperatures allow, of course. Sitting inside in the sun is actually not helpful because the UVB rays that are required for that metabolic process of activating vitamin D can't actually occur. 
Um, if you're at higher altitudes, like say you're going skiing, it's really important. Obviously, you still wear sunscreen just with that effective altitude. Um, and as important as sun exposure is, of course, always be sun smart. That's obvious. Um, so like most aspects of health, balance is key there. Um, so yeah, just being extra careful in summer and if you have a history of skin cancer, obviously always wearing sunscreen is crucial. Also keeping in mind that um, UV damage is one of the biggest contributors to um, aging. So trying to wear sunscreen or get in the habit of wearing sunscreen can be really beneficial for us. On that note, a really common question I get asked is does sunscreen affect our absorption of vitamin D? So yes, sunscreen can decrease vitamin D production um, under both controlled lab conditions and also real world conditions. So this decrease is most notable if sunscreen is used consistently and properly. So when using a broad spectrum sunscreen with the right sun protection factor or SPF, uh, using the right amount and reapplying as required, which to be honest, not many people probably do really well. So the amount to which sunscreen decreases vitamin D production appears to be small. So how could this be? Well, there's two possible factors there. Firstly, people may not be appropriately using their sunscreen during the sun exposure, as mentioned above. And if it's not used correctly, then those UVB rays can still easily get to areas of your skin where the sunscreen is absent or where the coverage isn't really sufficient enough to protect you. The second explanation is while sunscreen does a good job, it's not perfect and it can't block all UVB rays. So a high amount of exposure to UVB is not required necessarily to kickstart vitamin D. So it's possible that even low amounts of UVB radiation can still get past that sunscreen and initiate that vitamin D production. Don't stop using sunscreen just to get your vitamin D levels up. There's a balance that can be struck there. So in addition to appropriate dose of sun exposure safely, you can also increase your vitamin D through those few dietary sources I mentioned and of course supplementation. So diet and supplementation strategies will be particularly important for those of us who live in areas of low sun exposure or at latitudes where the sun's rays may not be as potent for vitamin D which is 37 degrees north and south of the equator. And to put that in perspective, I think that's around about where Auckland sits, just for reference. Also, if you think of um, Earth and in, in wintertime, we get tilted down and away from the sun. So we're just basically that much further away from the sun and that's why it is weaker and why we need to try and get some sun exposure during the day. So... It's suggested, I found this table on um, a, a medicine site and they have regions based off of Auckland and Christchurch. And just to put it in perspective, so during um, midday, so between July and August, so say peak winter, Auckland you need about 24 minutes around midday to get enough and Christchurch you require 40 minutes <laughs> so there's quite a difference there and if we look at summer so between the months of December and January in Auckland you need six to eight minutes and in Christchurch six to nine minutes so quite a contrast there. So who might be at risk of deficiency? So people who are predominantly indoors, um, whether you have an office-based job or maybe you have a long stay in hospital, 
um, institutionalized, whatever it may be. Um, obviously, more time indoors, you're not getting so much sun exposure. Wearing lots of clothing, whether that's for religious reasons or simply because it's really cold um, and rugging up and not letting much of your skin show. Um, locations further from the equator, as I've mentioned, like New Zealand. Um, and this is due to that solar zenith angle where the sun is just further away. So it affects how much UV light reaches the Earth's surface. So compared to Europe on equivalent latitudes, New Zealand has higher UV levels due to the lack of our ozone layer, which is good news for vitamin D exposure at winter, but bad news for our skin cancer rates. So it pays to be cautious there. Um, people who avoid the sun more maybe that's due to um, certain medications they're on that make their skin more sensitive they might have really fierce skin um, or maybe they have a history of skin cancer people with malabsorption syndromes uh, people consuming a low-fat diet because obviously that affects the absorption of our fat soluble vitamins um, and babies who are maybe partially or exclusively breastfed by a mum who is deficient in vitamin d are at risk as well so if you're worried about deficiency, talk to your doctor or dietitian, and they may suggest a supplement under medical guidance if it's deemed appropriate and that would always include a blood test of course. There is a lot of conflicting evidence surrounding vitamin D and its other potential involvement in metabolic disturbances, infections, inflammation and of course sports performance. Um, but there's still a bit of discrepancy surrounding a universally defined level for what is defined as deficiency. So yeah, I guess it's um, also something like zinc where that's a bit of an issue as well. So supplementing vitamin D can be associated with a range of benefits, including uh, improved immunity, bone health and well-being. Supplementation can also reduce the risk of all-cause mortality um, and there's potential involvement in improving things like diabetes and MS, but it's early days, so um, there's certainly no strong claims there yet. Vitamin D is also often taken for depression uh, and similar mental health issues, but yeah, as I said, the evidence is pretty mixed at this stage, um, so watch this space. So the recommended daily allowance for vitamin D is currently set at 400 to 800 international units a day. And this may be too low for some adults. So moderate supplementation of 1,000 to 2,000 international units may be sufficient to meet the needs of most of the population and um, higher daily doses um, where applicable but under medical guidance. So vitamin D3, which is called cholecalciferol, is recommended over vitamin D2 and that's just because it tends to raise our blood levels a bit more effectively. Um, and vitamin D should be taken daily and alongside a meal with ideally a source of fat in there just because it helps the absorption. So to finish, five quick facts from recent research. Number one, there is a notable risk reduction of falls in elderly with vitamin D supplementation at 700 international units or greater. There was a greater protective effect um, alongside calcium supplementation. Number two, in a meta-analysis, vitamin D has a notable reduction on colorectal cancer risk and appears to be dose-dependent up to 37 nanograms per mil. Higher serum levels were not assessed in that study, though. One small trial showed an improvement in insulin secretion in women with type 2 diabetes after one month of vitamin D supplementation. After one month, there was a 21.4 
percent decrease in peripheral insulin resistance. Uh, number four, some evidence that vitamin D may improve inflammation and clinical symptoms of COVID-19 patients. And lastly, number five, in people who are vitamin D deficient, supplementation appears to help alleviate symptoms of fibromyalgia. So that was a very brief summary and a bite-sized snippet of vitamin D. I hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to get in contact with any concerns or feedback. I love hearing from you.